Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Well, today, y'all, we have a story by the speculative fiction writer and editor Stephanie Cox. Now, Stephanie often writes about cities and place, which feels very natural given her degree in city and urban planning. She has said that her research and engagement with urban planning goes hand in hand with her creative brain when she writes fiction, and this story is certainly an example of that. In this piece, Stephanie is writing about a future version of California, ostensibly a few generations from now when things are literally heating up and wildfires are becoming an ever-present issue. But the interesting thing about this story for me is that rather than taking an apocalyptic turn, it places our faith in humanity. The story is called Firewall, and it was published in an anthology entitled Glass and Gardens, Solar Punk Summers from World Weaver Press. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Firewall by Stephanie Cox. It only took an hour on the trail for Daisha to lose Talia. Or rather, that's all it took for Talia to give her the slip. They'd headed out of the city and into the dusty, dry hills together feet crunching in three separate pairs through the stick-like yellow grass. But eventually, Daisha realized one set of footsteps was missing. I am never having kids, thought Daisha. I'm supposed to be doing a job, not running an internship program. Saddling her with two teenagers fulfilling their community justice agreements was yet one more sign that the council didn't take her position seriously. And why should they, she mused. It's not like they really need me anyway. Daisha felt the sweat run down the base of her neck and underneath her shirt. Her scalp felt scratchy and hot, even though she had tied her locks up into a topknot earlier. The sun made her tired and grouchy every time. Hey, Miss Daisha, said Carlos next to where she stopped. 
Where did Talia get to? How come she gets to do whatever she wants? Her remaining charge looked irritated. He slapped at his neck to kill a gnat and then wiped his hand on his khaki pants. The mop of his black hair, shiny and freshly washed when Daisha picked him up at five this morning, was already silty with airborne dirt and debris from the bushes and trees lining the trail. She noticed that Carlos was twirling a thin metal object that looked just like her... How did you get my particle meter? asked Daisha, swiping it back. She was sure she had stuffed it into the bottom of her bag. Carlos gave her a cheeky half-smile through his translucent face mask. I wanted to see what it does. Never, kids. Daisha took a slow breath through her own filter. No matter. She needed to check on the air quality levels at this spot anyway. She pushed a button on the side of the particle meter and waited for the reading to sink and flash across her OcuContacts. Normal ranges. Or rather, abnormal ranges for human health, but nothing higher than expected. Go make yourself useful and see if you can find Talia, Daisha said to Carlos. What if I don't feel like it? Well, then I guess I can put that in my progress report for the council. I'm sure they'll be happy to hear an update on how you've been feeling. He glowered, then slowly sauntered off toward the next hill, looking back at her once to see if she was still watching him. Daisha patted her pockets. You better not have taken anything else, she muttered. She fanned her face with a hand and hoped that Talia wasn't off playing with fire, as she was known to do. The destructive habit had been the reason the council placed her with Daisha in the first place. Let her see why fire is so dangerous. Help her contribute to the resistance of fire, they'd intoned. For Carlos, they'd told her simply, There's not much he can steal out there. Expose him to other ways of occupying his mind. It was hot. At least 130 degrees hot. But the thermo screen that they all used whenever leaving the cooled sphere of the city did its job, and Daisha was glad to know that at least her skin wouldn't burn and peel off in flaky scales later. She'd heard stories from Grandma Jean about how that used to happen before drugstores started selling thermo screen over the counter. First, only the light-skinned kids had to get the ointments and deep burn treatments for sun exposure. Then, as California continued to warm, even her own family members started to experience the negative effects. Daisha turned back the way they had come and scanned the horizon for Talia. From her vantage point among the hills, she could see all of Los Angeles spread out before her. The city seemed to sparkle through the gentle translucence of the firewall. The view of the city was a stark contrast from these dead, lonely hills she trekked among on a regular basis. 
Daisha remembered what Grandma Jean had said about L.A. being a bare desert more than a thousand years ago, which then grew to a sprawling, congested city where everyone coughed and hacked amidst brown air. She'd seen pictures in classroom holographics, but it still seemed hard to believe. As long as Daisha had known her hometown, it had been dense and tall with skyscrapers filling most of the land inside the wall and trains snaking between the buildings at all times of day and night. Walking back and forth from school, she remembered coming across lush green pocket parks full of drought-resistant plants and little shaded nooks for studying or talking. Sometimes she would bike through her neighborhood's greenways to the edge of downtown where she leaned against the guardrails and watched the expansive river flow past. Surrounding everything was the wall itself, a blue, shimmering sheet of compressed ocean water that Grandma Jean's team had engineered into a dome shape. It enveloped the city, and protected it from the flames that used to ravage L.A. during summers just like this. Squinting now, Daisha could see the yellow-marked guarded portal where she and the teens had come through the firewall. Daisha shook her head to clear it and put her back to the city again to continue up the trail. She was always floating away in a daydream. There's not much else to do out here. With the firewall pretty much maintaining itself, she felt largely irrelevant. Daisha tried not to think about what industrious, brilliant Grandma Jean would think of her only living descendant aimlessly meandering the hills. But she wasn't alone today. She was in charge of the teens, and now she had to find both of them. her instruments began to beep. A table of columns, numbers, and percentages flashed across her vision. It was a compilation that her computer had just synthesized of all the local environmental readings. Air quality, temperature, moisture levels, barometric pressure, and a million other measurements she didn't fully understand. Some of the numbers were pulsing in red. The beeping continued. Daisha flicked the fingers of her right hand to trigger the bar chart mode so that she could better understand what she was seeing. In the moment that it took her to absorb the red and blue rectangles, her heart jumped. She flicked her fingers again to put the data on a timeline and saw the dip clear as anything. For some reason, the energy output readings from the past month were low abnormally low. The firewall was losing power. Daisha continued scanning the charts with a lump in her throat, but there was no denying it. The wall was built to be self-sustaining. In fact, it did more than sustain itself. It provided power for the whole city. But she could see that the output was going to lower soon, if the information was correct. Daisha swallowed. She would have to tell the council about this, and then they would want her to tell them what to do. 
Something else was also bothering Daisha, but she couldn't put her finger on it. It was something outside of the sensors and readings themselves. Something that her body was taking in about the physical environment, tingling at the edge of her awareness. Whatever it was triggered a memory of Grandma Jean and the times she would read to Daisha at night when her parents worked late. The two of them would cuddle in Daisha's small bed and she would breathe in the lilac soap-scented heaven of her grandma, who was really her great-grandmother, as she listened to today's tale. Something about the past. Something about history. Tour through the city. Yo, Miss Daisha, shouted a familiar voice. I found Talia. She's got something you should look at. Carlos appeared at the edge of her vision with a silent Talia in tow. The black girl was covered from head to toe, despite the heat. She wore a gray hoodie, dark skater shoes, and a sullen frown to complete the picture. She stared off into space next to Daisha's head. Talia, Daisha scolded, where have you been? You can't just wander off like that. Talia's expression didn't change. She's not going to talk to you, said Carlos. She won't say anything, but she found something. What do you mean? Talia blinked and pointed over the East Ridge. Daisha paused. It was the direction of the firewall, though a different section than the one they had come through. She was still mad at Talia, but she did need to find out what was happening to the technology. She tapped her foot against the ground impatiently, then readjusted her shoulder bag. Fine, said Daisha. Let's go. She followed as Talia led the three of them down through the low brush and scraggly trees. They walked in silence for five minutes, drawing closer and closer to the blue shimmer. Something was still bothering Daisha, but she was distracted again as they neared the wall and her sensors started beeping faster. The three of them kept going until they were just a few yards from the wall where Talia stopped and pointed again. Daisha's instruments reached a crescendo. She was having a hard time seeing through all the data popping up in her OcuContacts. With an annoyed wave of her hand, she turned them all off. The contacts, the sensors, everything. Her vision returned to normal, and the blue shimmer became more immediate. That was when she saw the tear in the firewall a gap that was hard to notice if you weren't looking straight at it. It was a zigzag of blank air, surrounded by the water in the rest of the wall. The teenagers looked at her, but they didn't need Daisha to tell them this was a very bad sign. It was also then that Daisha finally noticed the smell of smoke far away in the breeze. 
The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there is no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Now, let's get back to our story. People referred to the council as though it were a small circle of government officials, when in reality, it was a chaotic mixture of, well, everyone. That was how the council worked. You could elect someone to represent your group based on almost any factor. Geographic area, race, age, gender identity. The list went on. You could elect multiple representatives, and there was no limit as long as representatives were active in participating with the council and in fulfilling their assigned roles and duties. So when Daisha and the teenagers stood before the council via the hollow conference she set up next to the wall tear, there were actually thousands of representatives uplinking to listen in on the conversation. And since the meetings were open to the entire city, any resident could theoretically tune in. Imagining the size of the audience that might be opening the feed from numerous points throughout the city made Daisha nervous. She swallowed to wet her throat in hopes that her voice wouldn't wobble anymore the way it had when she'd informed the council of the problem. The active fire is the biggest concern. 
said one council member, an older Latina woman with white-gray hair framing her face in crisp waves. If it travels just a few miles, it could arrive at the wall and rip right through the tear. Our buildings would be immediately at risk. My community is concerned with the evacuation plan, said a mid-30s man in a wheelchair with caramel-toned skin. He rolled closer to the device he was using to project into the meeting. The maps are outdated, and we, we haven't been keeping up with accessibility plans the way we should have been. That's why I keep bringing it up, and the firewall is our only source of power, said a member who represented the non-binary South Asian community. They raised a leather-cuffed arm to trigger the holoconference technology to amplify their screen. We have backup power stored up to last us for a year or two, but we'll have to figure out how to keep the air purifiers running past that point, if we want the city to stay livable. Forget the air purifiers. What about the other cities who come barging down to our door whenever they sense a weakness? Asked a precocious youth member. Selling them the firewall tech and keeping the barrier flowing has been the only way to keep them away long term, right? Daisha crossed her arms over her chest and closed her eyes for a moment. She hated council meetings for this very reason. Too many voices and not enough leadership. Sure, it was more fair, but it amazed Daisha that anything got done at all within this system. She suspected it was due to the multitude of citizens who ran the subcommittees for budgeting, resource management, and security. They kept the city running, while those who wanted airtime made a ruckus in hollow conference convenings. Another part of her dreaded the moment when they would stop talking and turn to her for a solution. She was the one who inherited the responsibility of maintaining Grandma Jean's wall when everyone else in her family had passed on or moved away. Daisha had never been as brilliant as Grandma Jean. Yes, she'd followed along as her great-grandmother did her rounds and learned about the various instruments for keeping an eye on the wall. Daisha mastered the data science to inform the council of the expected energy output each week, and she'd quickly learned what ranges were normal. But she'd never understood the firewall in the same way. She'd never been taught what to do in the face of an emergency, because there had never been an emergency. For Grandma Jean, it had been as though the wall were an extension of her own body not simply an engineered structure to maintain. In comparison, Daisha felt like a fraud. At her sides, she could sense Carlos and Talia watching her, waiting to see if she would intervene in the conversation, if she would speak up. Daisha looked over and noticed that Carlos had gotten his hands on the special thermoscreened water bottle she kept clipped to her shoulder bag. She'd purchased it last week since it kept water ice cold, even outside of the city. But she didn't have the energy or attention to try and get it back right now. The council representatives kept talking until one voice quieter than all the rest somehow cut through the noise. 
it said. The projection in front of Daisha switched to an ancient woman. The lines in her face were not wrinkles so much as deep grooves carved throughout the passage of time. She had to be 120 or 30, at least. The wrinkles furrowed her expression into incomprehensible twists and turns. But her deep brown eyes were alive and gentle. It was clear that even in the non-hierarchical structure of the council, this woman commanded a certain weight. No one talked as she gathered herself to speak again. I remember a time when wildfires conquered this city, she said. Tore through. We were scared every summer that all the progress we made in making Los Angeles bigger, more inclusive, and self-sustaining would get wiped away by the next burn. And it wasn't just us. So many cities fought the heat and failed in those early years. The council remained wrapped. Even Carlos and Talia seemed to be paying more attention now. Their eyes were dreamy as though the bedtime stories that Grandma Jean used to tell were being passed on to them now. Then, your great-grandmother... My friend came up with the firewall, said the old woman, looking right at Daisha. We all knew immediately that she had just saved us, our sovereignty and our progress. The woman took a long, slow breath that heaved her full body up and down. But the wall is not a miracle, she said. It's made up of earth and minerals and water, just like the rest of us. The wall can be fixed, and Jean believed you could do it, Daisha. She taught you, and she chose you. Council remained silent after that, since no one knew what else to say. Well... That sounds like an order, said Talia, speaking up for the first time since they'd left the city. Guess you have to figure out how to fix this thing. Once the three of them disconnected from the hollow conference, Daisha noticed the smoky smell had grown stronger. A light breeze blew the scent of ashes and embers from what couldn't be more than a couple of hills away. Even though she knew they were in no immediate danger, the next portal was close and the thermoscreen protected against fire burns, the smell still triggered a fear in her and made her hesitate. So, what are you going to do about this hole? asked Carlos, handing Daisha back her water bottle. Klepto said Talia. Carlos shrugged, but he did look a little apologetic. Sorry, I can't help it. It's just too easy. I always give stuff back. Talia was looking at Daisha intently. 
you're scared, aren't you? She asked. My sister always gets tense like you when she's worried about her kids. Daisha felt a quick surge of warmth for Talia, which caught her by surprise. Didn't teenagers always think about themselves? When had Talia been paying enough attention to others to notice something like that? She let the moment pass. I'm going to try some reprogramming functions. Just give me a few moments of quiet. Maybe I can figure this out. The teens promptly wandered closer to the wall and started to throw pebbles at it. The stones pinged off the firewall with enough force to make the activity a game. Talia and Carlos ended up dodging the little bullets as they shot back at them like squash balls. A couple of stones went through the gap in the wall instead of ricocheting off of it. Daisha did her best to ignore their game and turned all her equipment back on. The first thing the sensors picked up was the approaching fire, ten miles away and moving slowly. Good. No need to head back to the city yet. The next thing she figured out was how to pick up the size and location of the hole through a 3D rendering of the firewall that she had projected in front of her. It looked as though... No, that couldn't be right. Hey, Miss Daisha, did you know there are other cracks in the wall, too? It was Talia. She'd noticed the same thing that Daisha was picking up on her computers. The giant hole that Talia found earlier was actually flanked by tiny streaks of nothingness where the blue of the wall should be. Why do I even bother with these gadgets at all? Daisha wondered, toggling another control. Okay, Daisha snapped at Talia. I'm working on it. She flipped through stats using the OccuContact set. Gravity hold? Normal. Flow speed? Normal. Wall with three to five feet. Normal. She triggered the size controls anyway and heard the entire dome groan as it contracted by an inch. The adjustment didn't seem to do anything to close the gaps, even the small ones. Cool, said Carlos. At least she had an appreciative audience. Daisha didn't know what else to do. She'd never encountered a situation like this before where the firewall wasn't capable of fixing itself. Daisha sighed and buried her eyes in her hands, near tears. She tried to channel the supportive gaze she remembered from Grandma Jean's council friend, but she felt so alone out here above the city. What would the council say when they realized that she wasn't who they thought she was? That the city was going to fall prey to the same problems it used to have long ago? Daisha heard a metallic zip. Once. Twice. Again. She pulled her hands away from her face to see Talia flicking an e-lighter on and off. The stone game exhausted, Talia and Carlos were both sitting immediately next to the gap in the wall, watching the flame. Talia, you know you aren't supposed to have that, said Daisha. She readied herself to go into authoritative mode, which she had read somewhere was the best way to get defiant kids to listen. 
Then, something extraordinary happened. The firewall reached out. Talia screamed and nearly dropped the lighter she was holding. Carlos shimmied away from it faster than Daisha would have thought him capable. The bulge in the firewall remained, a mass of it that had shifted to be closer to Talia. Do it one more time, said Daisha, a spark of inspiration hitting her. Talia flicked the lighter and the wall streamed out to touch it, absorbing only the flame. The color in the piece of wall that reached out brightened from aqua to a rich green. As the wall pulled itself back into place, it looked different somehow. Newer. Healed. The section of the wall that had reached out was now completely smooth, with no cracks marring its surface. Talia looked up at Daisha, realizing what this could mean. She stood, walked to a new section of wall, and flicked the lighter again. The same process happened. The wall healed in the place where Talia fed it fire. Talia moved to try a third time. As Talia flowed along the wall, the proof flitted across Daisha's contacts. The sensors were detecting bigger energy waves from the wall again, a spike each time Talia fed it fire. Based on what she was seeing, the new sections would have enough strength to both power the city and withstand external fire threats. Carlos recovered from his startled state and went over to Talia. It's like it needs the fire to get better, he said examining the latest healed spot. Daisha realized he was exactly right. It's gone symbiotic, she exclaimed. The wall was created as standalone technology, but it's been absorbing the power of the fire that hits it. The wildfires don't damage the wall. They make it stronger. The wall needs the flames. She realized what she was saying. This isn't the same wall that Grandma Jean built. It's... it's evolved. The next idea seemed to come to her at the same time as the teenagers who were already poised to move. Gather branches, Daisha told them. Carlos and Talia nodded and ran off to find some. When they came back, Daisha wrapped the bottom of three of the branches in strips from the heat-dispelling fabric she kept in her kit for emergencies. She handed each of the kids a piece of wood and kept one for herself. Then she nodded at Talia to do the honors. Talia flicked the lighter and touched it to the unwrapped portion of Daisha's branch, which caught immediately, dry as it was. Daisha held her flame out to Carlos's stick, and Carlos held his out to Talia's. Together, the three of them approached the original gaping hole they had found and thrust the branches toward it. For a moment, nothing happened. The break in the wall held its shape. 
And then, slowly, the edges of the firewall seemed to sigh outward and pick up the energy of nearby light and heat. The structure reached and drank from the flames for several long minutes. Daisha and the teenagers held their arms steady, feeding the wall patiently. Finally, the undulating matter relaxed back into place, freshly knitted together and whole. The green of the new portion spread into the surface and healed several nearby cracks as well. It's beautiful, thought Daisha. I never needed to fix the wall, just nourish it. Daisha turned to her charges with a grin. <laughs> Looks like there might be some more work out here for you two. Want to stay and help me repair the rest? Really? Asked Carlos. I thought you hated us. Talia looked confused too. Daisha smiled and thrust the final smoldering embers of her stick into the emerald expanse. She watched the kaleidoscope effect unfold and laughed a little. <laughs> I'm realizing I could use a couple of assistants who know what they're doing, she answered. Talia studied Daisha carefully, then nodded and fed the remains of her charred branch to the firewall too. I guess I might have some time, she said, as long as I get to keep my lighter. Too late, replied Carlos, as he flipped the metal device into the air and caught it in the palm of his hand. This Stephanie Cox story is quintessentially the reason why I love science fiction literature so much and that it really uh, invites us into the what if, imagining the world as we'd like to remake it, first in our imaginations, but then with our hands and, and, and with tools. Look, I, I know that there was some kid who watched the original Star Trek and was exposed to those images week after week of Captain Kirk pulling out his communicator from that secret Velcroed place on his hip because there are no pockets in the future. I know. I've been there. And Kirk would, Kirk would pull out the communicator, flip it open, and call the ship. He'd say, Scotty, beam me up. That kid became let's say, an engineer and then a designer of product and designed a piece of technology that is more prevalent on the planet today than the toaster. We have all used or seen someone use a flip cell phone. That is how it works in this realm. That which we can imagine, we can make manifest. And it is science fiction that most naturally invites us into that process of imagining. We literally make up the world as we would have it in our minds first, and then we go out and change the world.
That's powerful. And what Stephanie does in this story is imagine a future time when they've solved the problem of a lack of rain and water in California. And wildfires are the bane of mankind's existence, and they've invented and created a technology made of ocean water that they fashioned into a dome to cover the entire city. Sounds far-fetched, but so does the transporter. And I do believe we'll get there eventually. Stephanie comes from a background as, as, as an urban planner and is certainly well-informed about all of the challenges that, that face us going forward, global warming, all of these things, you know, she, she thinks about on a daily basis and how they affect large populations. And still, she has an optimistic point of view. Not everyone is able to pull that off, to remain positive in the face of what are overwhelmingly dire scenarios. And that, that just that takes a certain kind of human being to, to be immersed in the problem, to see the problem for what it is, and yet still find it within themselves to not succumb to despair, but to actually be inspired, to want to fight the inertia uh, of of doom and dedicate themselves to a solution that to me is heroic i'm wired to respond to life with that <sighs> sickening sense of positivity <laughs> that, 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 that annoying energy of it's all gonna be okay let's hang in there and we'll get there together um it's it's a character flaw but i live with it it just always feels good to n not feel like you're alone you know out there toiling in the void it, it does help to know that there, you know, there are allies, that there are people out there who think and, and act the way that you do. It does help. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the best in the business, Miss Julia Smith. Our assistant producer is Audrey No. Our editing and sound design is by Misha Stanton. And thanks to our consulting producer, Mr. Adam Divert. And thanks to Ryan Connor for his engineering expertise in today's episode. Thank you, Ryan. And my undying thanks to Stephanie Cox for allowing me to read her story. You can find it in the anthology entitled Glass and Gardens, Solar Punk Summers, out now from World Weaver Press. And you can follow Stephanie's work at her website, stephaniecox.com that's s-t-e-f-a-n-i cox c-o-x dot com and hey if you love the show and want to help other people find it it's easy to do simply leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and in that review give us an idea for a story you'd like to hear me read on the podcast we've been using your suggestions I hope y'all are noticing 
We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story, but with Stitcher Premium, you can hear next week's episode right now. Plus, you can get a bonus interview with Rachel Kong, the author of My Dear You, that is exclusive to Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar and use the promo code LeVar. That's L-E-V-A-R for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and Jenny Radelette of the Flying Radelette Sisters. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. And for the children in your life, do check out LeVar Burton Kids' Skybrary app with books and videos at LeVarBurtonKids.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my Stitcher. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.